Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good sizzling summer weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. You can celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Every Sunday, you'll hear from chefs, artisans, farmers, authors, travel experts, sommeliers, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. And it's my goal to feed your soul on this show, so I hope that you'll stay tuned for an hour of delicious conversation. I'm also always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, and you can find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Oh, and podcasts of radio shows you might have missed can be heard on iTunes, FeedBurner, Blueberry, and more. Just search Chef Jamie Gwen. To kick off today's culinary conversation, let's talk cold soups, shall we? I think cold soups are wonderful. They have the richness of a hearty bowl of goodness and then that lovely chill to cool you down all at the same time. And you can really take advantage of the best fruits and vegetables of the summer season like asparagus and watermelon and avocado, to name a few, and turn them into soups that are really weather appropriate. Now, you can find inspiration in your refrigerator. In fact, right now, you can probably find some just slightly overripe fruit or some avocados that are beginning to turn or in your garden. Maybe you've grown a bevy of tomatoes and they certainly translate beautifully to a no-cooked tomato soup. And this is really the time of year where you have the ability to create gorgeous simplicity in dishes that have fabulous flavor. So leftover grilled asparagus, by the way, is incredible blended with chicken broth and maybe you throw in a boiled potato and you season it generously with uh, good sea salt and cracked pepper and you have a beautiful chilled salad that's actually very elegant. Or Let's say you grilled vegetables for dinner last night and there's leftover zucchini and yellow squash. Well, you can puree them to perfection or you could chop them up and throw them into a rich tomato base and you'll have a twist on a cold soup that everyone loves gazpacho, but more on that coming up. How about a a ripe melon pureed with fresh mint, a good squeeze of lime juice, maybe a drizzle of honey, and finished with a scoop of sorbet. I love cold soup as dessert. I happen to think that smooth and creamy cold soups, by the way, are best made ahead of time because they need a chance to chill down, but they actually need the time for all the flavors to meld and sort of get uh, more subtle and soft, really. And you can prepare them a couple of days in advance, cold soups, that is, for even better flavor. They're sort of like um, a great stew. They taste better the day after and sometimes even the day after that. The one thing you need to remember, and here's my best chef's tip when it comes to cold soups, is that cold food in general needs salt to enliven the flavors 
more salt, in fact, than hot dishes do. So you always want to adjust the seasoning of a chilled soup just before you serve it. And then consider that at ChefJamie.com, I have lots of recipes to kick off your summer barbecue in cool style because cold soups make a perfect make-ahead starter. They're a lovely side dish and they're really a very nice sweet ending to a meal. So you could make a vichyssoise. Of course, in the French tradition, this soup has certainly stood the test of time. It's creamy, it's rich, it's delicious, it's a crowd pleaser. And it's very simply a base of sautéed, I like leek and onion combined in, you know, good quality unsalted butter with a store-bought or homemade chicken broth added, thickened with either flour or um, you could use cornstarch or arrowroot, and then a couple of diced uh, potatoes that have been peeled, and some heavy cream, a splash, and some chopped chives, and you have a really beautiful uh, cold potato soup. Then, as I mentioned earlier, I love a melon soup, but if you haven't combined melon and cucumber lately, it is a match made in heaven. And this particular soup, my cucumber melon, I make with a combination of plain yogurt and creme fraiche or French sour cream with a seedless, also called a burpless cucumber and ripe honeydew melon. And then you garnish the smooth, sweet, savory puree with thinly sliced radishes and some freshly snipped chives. And then there is the dessert soup. I love a fruit puree, and it is a great way to use up overripe or leftover summer fruit. And you can combine everything from a tropical standpoint, like papayas and mango with pineapple juice and a squeeze of lime and a pinch of salt. And then you could serve it in a demitasse or an espresso cup like a shooter. You could splash it with some tequila or some vodka. Now we're talking. Or you could put it into a shallow bowl and, as I mentioned, top it with a scoop of sorbet and a mint sprig and dessert is ready. But truth be told, my favorite cold soup, and I think because I was raised on it, my mom makes an incredible one, is definitely gazpacho. Gazpacho is the soup for cooks who don't like recipes. It's a cold Spanish classic. It's traditionally made with ripe tomatoes, but it's really adaptable. So juicy tomatoes are an ideal base, but you can substitute if you want to use canned tomatoes, preferably the Italian kind called San Marzano. You can add in um, a, a whole bevy of flavors. Fruit and tomato actually goes well together. I've been known to add papaya to my gazpacho, actually in chunks on the top. Um, I love avocado and cucumber on the savory side. And then to accent the gazpacho, I like soft herbs like basil and mint and parsley. They're all a, a welcome addition. You could throw in some finely chopped garlic. I like a, a slightly acidic element to build on the acidity of the tomatoes. So a splash of sherry vinegar goes a long way. And then with gazpacho, you need texture. So I like uh, chunky 
to top my smooth. Although there are two camps. You can either puree your gazpacho or leave it rather thick and viscous. I use a blender for mine. My mom uses a food processor. Um, But for a thicker soup in the Spanish style, you can throw in shards of rustic bread or um, to the puree, you can add a handful of raw almonds. You'll really get a Spanish beautiful flavor coming through. And then you always want to finish the gazpacho with a drizzle of really good extra virgin olive oil. When it comes to garnishes, um, the purists opt for nothing. I opt for everything. I love toppings. So consider uh, crumbled fresh goat cheese, garlicky croutons, maybe crispy prosciutto where you take a few slices of prosciutto and you bake them until they're crisp and then you crumble them. Or you could go uber fancy and throw in um, a crab claw or some uh, cold poached shrimp. Ooh, that would be delicious. You can find a few variations of gazpacho, by the way, on my website at chefjamie.com. And I'd love to know how you make your gazpacho. So email me. It's jamie at chefjamie.com. And in food news this week, here's some news you can use. Starbucks baristas will soon have more options when it comes to health insurance. The coffee giant is switching over to a private health insurance exchange coming up later this year, which means their employees will be able to pick from several different insurance carriers and plan options. And at the same time, the chain is also giving a majority of its U.S. employees a raise of at least 5%. Well, here's the news you need to know. Many of Starbucks drinks are getting more expensive. That's right. Prices are going up or it's speculated that prices at Starbucks will rise before the end of 2016. You heard it here first. And now you are a food enthusiast in the know. But of course, don't touch your dial. You can go to the computer in a little while. Because coming up, we have some really delicious conversation. I love when my friend, editor-in-chief of Savor Magazine, Adam Sachs, stops by. He is dishing on everything delicious for summer. We're talking blueberry barbecue chicken, ooh, paella, and pa. Everybody loves pa. Also, we're mastering new sauces today with cookbook author Susan Volland, and we will define dressings and give you delectable recipes. And before the end of the hour, if you are tired of being tired, well, our fitness guru, Lisa Lynn, will be here and she will cure your fatigue blues. So stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation in your radio coming up. Chef Jamie Gwen, I'll be right back. Savoring summer. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio celebrating the season. The summer issue of Savor magazine has just released and it is chock full of glorious new ideas, inspiration and recipes for the dog days of summer. The culinary publication for serious foodies, of which I am a huge fan, Savor Mag, is all about blueberry barbecue chicken and stuffed trout and of course, 
Pie, and it's on the newsstands now. Savour's editor-in-chief, Adam Sachs, who I always love to dish on food with, is back, and he is here to share some summer insight. Hey, Adam. Hi, Jamie. (laughs) Glad to have you back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks. Okay, let's kick off this conversation with a snack, if you don't (laughs) mind. I would like to meet you in Queens for a market tour any day. I loved Max's article. It really made me hungry. Yeah, I will meet you there any day. And since I'm a little closer, I'll get there (laughs) earlier. And luckily, even if I start eating, I think, and you're driving across country, I won't run out of things to snack on by the time you get there. That's true. You Um, can save a table. Yeah, there's uh, so Max Fakowitz, who's uh, on our digital staff, wrote a lovely story about kind of making the case that for as good as the restaurants are in the borough of Queens, the way to really experience the borough is through its markets. Right. Um, you know, it's, Queens is sort of the, the melting pot of melting pots here in New York, and there are over 100 languages spoken in the borough. And one of the ways you can really uh, experience all this culture is, you know, the best way through through our stomachs and mouths yes. and tasting all all the all the sausages and specialty items and coffees and sandwiches and and treats uh, at all these different markets. And the ethnic diversity is what I think is so extraordinary, not only of the people but of the. Uh, the food in the markets themselves, they're not Absolutely. specifically one um, ethnic, ethnically focused uh, cuisine. There's a lot of blending that goes on. And I, I think that's really a wonderful melting pot. Isn't that um, in today's world and the state of our union, uh, a great lesson that we Absolutely. can all get along and come together? Yes. And yeah. all, these, all these cultures and cuisines are as you say, sort of, you know, living happily side by side. Mm-hmm. And it just makes life very happy for a, mm-hmm. for a uh, an eager shopper and taster and snacker who yes. wants to just kind of float between, you know, cuisines. And, and, and very delicious. And for the food lover, the enthusiast to plan a trip, you know, there's nothing like New York City, but to get outside into the boroughs and, and to experience Queens and to feel Brooklyn, it's really a, a burgeoning food scene and one that I think is really important to keep our eye on. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've lived in New York for over 20 years and there's still a lot of places that Max mentioned that I haven't tried. So even, yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it makes me want to get on the train and get out there. And yeah, no doubt. Sample some of this stuff. Okay, get on it, Adam. Would you? <laughs> um, let's talk pie. When you pie, say yeah. when you say pie, I feel like you should have a southern accent and say pie because everyone loves pie. Yeah, it's true. Pie somehow is better than pie. Yeah, it is. It is. Although Midwestern pie, like Chicago pie, they like pie. Oh, deep dish everywhere. pie. Oh, yeah. No, that I'll I'll take that any day either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's. I think the beauty of pie is that you can say it in any uh, regional accent, and it still sounds pretty good. It's true. I loved the tips that were shared, um, most specifically for those that bake pie. And I very much, wholeheartedly, from a chef's perspective, agree with this. There are not a lot of things you want to cook longer than you think. In fact, you always, oftentimes, want to cook under because of carryover cooking and because we want tender, juicy. But baking and you can't a pie, go back. You no, can you go cannot back go back. It, That's yeah. true with protein. But baking a pie longer than you think you should. Now that's an important note. Because you get those nice brown bits and yes. caramelized bits, and mm. yeah, you always want it. I don't know. It's always a little lustier when it's when it's been burnt a little bit, and you're not going to overcook. You know, a berry filling the way you will a 
piece of chicken. Um, can we talk breadfruit? Because I know jackfruit. Yeah. But this one was new to me, and I thought the article... You don't article, know jack about breadfruit. I don't know jack about breadfruit, thank you, but it was fascinating to learn about. Yeah, breadfruit, I, I, I am the same. I've seen it in the market, these big, big sort of football-sized, uh, green, weird, prickly, uh, pretty unattractive... Uh, Fruits. Uh, orbs. Yeah. Orbs. And it turns out that uh, it's, it's this interesting dish that is um, big in Hawaii and all over uh, Polynesia, and it has it's super nutritious and it uh, grows like crazy, and there's a movement to sort of bring it back and, and rebrand it and uh, and help fight hunger through it because it's uh, sustainable and it's it grows easily and and it's you can do a million different things with it. It just on its own it's a little bit bland. So it's an interesting story about kind of rebranding, revitalizing, and kind of uh, taking this this fruit that a lot of us certainly on the mainland uh, don't don't you know, know that much about, um, mm-hmm. but has it a, a storied history. And I think the very important focus as well is the sustenance that it provides, similar right. to jackfruit. I mean, talk about feed the world. You know, there's right. so much we don't use, and that goes back to waste, not want not. So, um, okay, the question of the day, the most important yeah. one. Uh-oh. Have you personally experienced blueberry barbecued chicken? I have I've experienced it, and I can uh, attest that I am a true believer and a convert. And I have to say, when I saw it on, you know, uh, we look at a lot of recipes and figure out what we're going to test, and, you know, from that, narrow it down to what we're going to run with. I wasn't sure that blueberry and chicken were, were two words I wanted <laughs> side by side together. in the magazine or on my dinner plate. <laughs> and this uh, sauce um, that uh, Vivian Howard makes um, is just, it's so good. It's It's not... Uh, sickly sweet it's mm. uh, a kind of perfect sweet sour mix and it's definitely blueberry but somehow it just works it's a great it's a great sauce i am going to search for it on savor.com and share it via social media with a link if you don't mind because i think i would the, love that i please. think the whole world should be making blueberry barbecue chicken i, I can't wait to taste place. it it would be um, and lots of wonderful <laughs> north carolina influence throughout your pages of raleigh one of the food capitals right. no doubt um, and I mean, that's just the ultimate summer barbecue to me. So I can't wait to try yeah. it. And yeah, then let me know what you think. I, I will. Really, I love it. I will. And, and try the tomato pie too. Ooh, okay. That she makes. It's I, beautiful. I saw that. It is beautiful. And watermelon rind pickles for sure. Those were good. Oh, yeah. yes. That you have to say with a Southern accent. Oh, the <laughs> watermelon rind pickles. How's that? <laughs> that was very good. Wow. Okay, we didn't practice that either. No, we didn't. Nor did we practice the sounds of fire trucks in the background, <laughs> but that was really well cued. Um, uh, if I'm reporting back on blueberry barbecue chicken, I would love an updated report, please, on your um, editor's note mention that you are taking the summer to practice paella. Yes, this is my summer of paella. Summer of and, paella. I love it. And I, I partially did that. Uh, to challenge myself because I I don't want to I don't want to let this summer get away without sort of mastering it. I've gotten very into uh, grilling a bunch of items, a lot of seafood and a lot of different things, and then mixing it with rice or beans or mm. uh, different you know doing something in a in a big shallow pot and doing something sort of like paella. But I'd like to I'd like to refine my my paella skills. 
Well, whenever you're making again, if you'd like to extend an invitation, I will jump on an airplane happily. All right. I'll have to taste it, and then I'll see if it's okay. good. So you only have a few hours to get here. But... I was going to say, you'll report back, I hope, as you uh, continue to practice. Absolutely. I, I love paella, and I love Spanish food, and I love that uh, you are always elevating your home cooking to a new level, Thank what we you. all aspire to do. Um, I think the only thing that wouldn't go good in it, uh, good, wouldn't go well in it, is uh, blueberry Barbecue, barbecue chicken, but right? <laughs> otherwise, pretty much anything. Anything goes. You know, snails or, or shrimp or sausage. I think there's there's so many variables you can you can put in a paella. The new issue is terrific, and I love highlighting so the wide and wonderful world of recipes and cooking and wine and culinary arts, all found in Savor magazine. The summer issue is on newsstands now. There's lots more to read and learn and cook from the magazine, so you'll want to grab it for a whole summer's worth of delicious inspiration. And of course, you'll want to follow Savour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more. And I am going to dig up that uh, barbecue chicken, blueberry specifically, Please barbecue yeah, chicken recipe. Know how, how you like it. Thank you, Adam, as always. I look forward to catching up on either coast with you soon. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, there's more to eat right after this. Don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We'll be right back. delicious conversation every Sunday. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It's the new Bible of sauce making and you should read it front to back. Susan Volland is a classically trained chef and food writer and she served as the recipe editor for Nathan Mirvold's Modernist Cuisine Projects. So let me tell you, this woman knows her stuff. Her new book release entitled Mastering Sauces presents sauce making in a whole new way by focusing on the fundamentals of maximizing flavor, manipulating texture, and seasoning confidently. And she takes you on a trip around the world to make an endlessly adaptable stir-fry sauce, mock stocks, eggless mayo, and more. And Susan is back, and I am delighted. She is sharing her passion for splashing and drizzling and dousing in a three-part series all about her new book. Today, you are going to learn about dressings, and we'll follow next month with a conversation on master infusions. I am delighted that the author of Mastering Saucens, Susan Volland, is here. Hi, welcome back, Susan. Thank you, Jamie. Of Thanks course. for having me. Yes, no doubt. Okay, we talk about flavor-packed things when you come on this show. And I love that because I love depth of flavor like you do. And it's the summer season. So can we talk about dressings in general, those that uh, encompass vinaigrettes, emulsions, uh, as you call it, sauce on the side? Yeah, I think dressing (laughs) is this wonderful all-purpose term. It sometimes is always connoted with salad. Right. Um, but I think dressings are kind of like clothes, you know, it's something that embellishes and it's something that can be as fancy as you want it to be or as sort of casual and understated. For sure. So dressings just take up a huge, huge realm of sauce making that some people don't connect with being sauces, but of course they are. So let's start with salads if we could, because there's a beautiful bounty of fruits and vegetables at the farmer's market for the summer season. And I think that one of the concepts that even great cooks 
uh, are eager to grasp or master is the idea of an emulsified dressing. Coming from professional kitchens, Susan, and in your training too, I've always made an emulsified dressing using an appliance. Like I love the blender for that. Um, I happen to like a sh- to shake a, a vinaigrette in a mason jar as well. I call it a broken vinaigrette. But you say that there is a way, and I know you'll teach us, to master getting oil and vinegar to play nice. I love that. <laughs> I think it's the understanding of yes. why oil and vinegar doesn't uh, doesn't bond or get together. And part of that is because oil, wa- oil molecules and water molecules are just completely different. They're made differently. They will never bond. So the trick is to get them um, to, to, to get along, right. to be, play the mediator and let them mingle without uh, separating. And the trick to do that is to understand how to introduce them um, in a friendly way. And what people think sometimes is that because the oil quantity tends to be larger than the water quantity, which is the vinegar or the citrus, that you have to add the water into the oil. And that is actually the opposite way you want to do it. In most culinary emulsions, the oil is carried by the water. The water is called the continuous phase. The oil is called the dispersed phase. So the first step you want to do when making a salad dressing or a vinaigrette is to start with your vinegar or your lemon juice in the bowl and season that with some ingredients and then very gradually whisk in the oil. And even more so, you, you certainly can shake together something in a mason jar, but if you take a whisk and you gradually add that oil into that water or that continuous phase, your dressing will hold together better. Yeah. You do that same thing in a food processor mm-hmm. or a blender and you're breaking up those molecules even more so they don't start to cling together and get to know each other and, and separate again. So that high-speed, more highly dispersed particles will make a more emulsified dressing. See, so so that's exactly why, you know, <laughs> doing it in a blender holds together longer. Yeah, definitely. It won't so. be permanent because it will gradually, each of those molecules will start to cling to another one that, that fits better together, but it certainly will hold for longer. And I find that my vinaigrettes do hold a few days in the fridge. And I like Absolutely. to I like to make it in advance because I think the flavors meld together. You talked about vinegar, citrus. There are so many different uh, choices when it comes to acid to offset mm-hmm. the oil itself. And you can create such extraordinary flavor by not only mixing those acids, but I find mixing the oils too. Give us your, your best one to three vinaigrette. And if you would define it, because that really is a very uh, classically French uh, approach that I think every great cook should know, one to three. Yeah, there's a recipe in the book just called one to three or um, one to three vinaigrette, which means that you, for a classic French vinaigrette, you start with one part acid, Mm -hmm. acidity, like the vinegar of your choice or the lemon juice, to three parts oil. If you follow that as a good starting point, then you can just completely play around mm. with that. You can yes. use two different kinds of oils. You can use a lemon juice and a vinegar for that one part, mm. as this acidity to three parts oil. You can embellish it with um, the classics of maybe a pinch of mustard and some shallots, maybe a little garlic and some herbs. Mm. Or you can really tweak it, and I've made them with like a fig jam or a fig vinegar, mm. or um, you can add a whole bunch of, you know, some anchovies, or you can embellish it to whatever you want. I've done it with caramelized onions and a splash of steak sauce, in addition to that one to three, for a good steak salad. How cool. I've never thought to add... Yeah, some some acids 
some vinegars are sharper than others. Right. You know, some vinegars like red wine vinegar or cider vinegar are going to be brighter and sharper than something milder like a rice vinegar or a very aged balsamic. So the ratio of one to three really is meant for those bright vinegars. Um, and you will, you might have to adjust it with a splash of this or a splash of that if your, if your oils and vinegars are uh, slightly off that super sharp mark. We are mastering sauces with author Susan Volland. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with Susan Volland, the author of Mastering Sauces. As we perfect our dressings, Susan, do you add any uh, sweeteners or do you have one of choice? Like I've been known to add a teaspoon of maple syrup to my vinaigrettes that have a a, a bitier acid, let's say, just because I feel it tones it down. I learned from a chef a lot of years ago as well whom I was working for in professional kitchens, Susan, that a little hot water will get you a long way to sort of mellow out a a too bright vinaigrette, let's say. I think those are great tips. I think something that works for me that I was taught way back in cooking school (laughs) is if you have that ratio pretty balanced and it still somehow tastes tastes like the oil and the vinegar are balanced, but it still tastes sort of sharp, Mm -hmm. or I mean, I'm sorry, the oily, if you add a little pinch more salt, if you add more salt, oh. it often will take that oily taste away Smart. and keep that ratio um, correct so you don't keep boosting up the vinegar. Sure. It's, a, it's a little trip, just like that water that you have. Right, yeah. No, the seasonings are so important. And then yeah. there's, a, there's a whole other world of dressings that fall under the category, right? I love your Asian influence because I think the Japanese have mastered depth of flavor. And I would love to know more about... Sanbeju. You know, I um, this is just a, a simple recipe. It's kind of a, a, lots of different um, people claim it has to have a very specific ratio, but I just kind of got this recipe from my cousin who is Japanese, mm. and she uh, it's a very simple uh, vinegar, soy sauce, and slight sweetness. I put sugar in there, but you can also use mirin, which is a sweet Japanese wine. Yes, which I love. And it's for making pickled dishes or vinegar dishes, some of the dishes that you would serve with the Japanese dinner. Also, traditionally, um, very good with cold sliced octopus. Ooh, okay. But just a nice little bright. It has no oil in it, um, but it's still a light vinegar dressing. It's like a vinegar dressing. Yeah, really clean, like something you'd want to keep in the fridge and just douse things with. Yeah, After they come noodles. off the grill, yes, yeah. or noodles. Oh, for sure. Any of those fresh vegetables, salt, salt, yes. it, Salted radishes, um, cucumbers, peppers, lots mm. of different things that you can you can just add a sharp sweetness um, and dress just with that simplicity. But that's also an example of how these very elemental, very simple, simple stripped down dressings can enhance a dish while still emphasizing the natural ingredient. 
For sure. And so uh, perfectly summer appropriate. This show is supposed to make you hungry. So hopefully we've done our job. Um, but the recipes that you're hearing all about and salivating all about are found in the new definitive cookbook on contemporary sauces, highlighting fresh flavors, updating the classics. Mastering Sauces by Susan Volland is available now. So check it out. You can learn more on Susan's website at susanvolland, V-O-L-L-A-N-D.com. I'll see you next month, Susan. Thank you for sharing your passion. We are on to master infusions, and I can't wait to make a mock stock with you uh, when you uh, grace this show again. So thank you once again. I appreciate your time. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, there's more to learn and more to eat right after the break. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. If you have a taste for life, well, then this is your show. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Okay, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Well, fatigue and lack of energy are the number one health complaint of all ages. And Lisa Lynn says that if you're tired all the time, your body is trying to tell you something. Lisa is a celebrity fitness and metabolic nutrition expert, the founder of Lynn Fit Nutrition, and the author of the award-winning The Metabolism Solution. Lisa created the Metabolic Boosting Weight Loss System, and she regularly appears with Dr. Oz to share her workouts, her insight, her belly fat weight loss tips, and more. And I am always thrilled when she stops by to whip us back into shape. I am very proud to call Lisa Lynn our resident fitness expert. And if you stay tuned for the next 10 minutes, you might just gain some energy, sleep better, and feel better, right? I'm so glad you're back. Hi, Lise. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Did you tell them the real reason why I have to boost metabolisms? Because I love food. Yes, I know. That's what I love about you. That's why you're our resident fitness expert. Because um, back in the day, you'd been known to keep Tootsie Rolls in your pocket. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, I love food, and so I, one of the thing, all the things that I did actually was contributing to my bad metabolism, but people that don't love food, they don't really need to hear this conversation, and they're boring anyways. Well, and they're, and they're not listening anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, I, for those that are listening, um, and many of them, in fact, and my own ears um, tuned in to this conversation. I can hear your bike in the background, just so you know. I know you are, and I love it. And just so you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that um, Lisa Lynn's office chair is a stationary bike. And I think that proves her true dedication. Um, And I think it's extraordinary. You know that, Lisa. I think it's fabulous. Uh, You'd be shocked the difference that just, I have have many offices, but one of them I took and made into one of the stand-up desks, which I love now. It got hard. I wanted to sit all the time, but now that I'm standing, I actually feel better. So anyone who's sitting at a desk all day, you have a lot more options than you think. It's true. Okay, so that certainly relates to this conversation. Why are we tired all the time? Well, one, we're not getting enough sleep. We're working, you know, all hours of the night with screens in our face. Mm -hmm. That's really messing up our melatonin, you know, our body's production of melatonin, I should say, from phone screens to computer screens. 
and we go with it instead of shutting them off and learning how to let our body regulate. Then when we can't sleep, we're grabbing the bottle next to our bed of some kind of PM medication that's clogging our liver, or it could be wine. And then if we're up late, we tend to eat more, and so we're really we're causing these disasters. I say stop eating at an early hour, throw out the drugs, and replace your drug cabinet with a more natural approach like melatonin that you can take that not only helps you sleep, but it's a regulator of belly fat or brown belly fat, the kind that burns more calories. So swap out the things that are hurting you and causing belly fat for the things that will get rid of it. Okay, really smart because, by the way, I'm the one with the iPad and the iPhone in bed and totally responsible for it. And when I wake up and I realize, okay, I was on my phone too late and I had a disrupted sleep, I know what to attribute it to. I mean, I, I, I know the issues. So we, And then what do we grab? We, like I tell everybody, you have to have a binder book next to your bed. It's the best way to get yourself back to sleep is, or, or you know, say a few Hail Marys and something that's <laughs> meditative and calming, but not the right. Not the light, not the light. Okay, so if we uh, resolve to keep away from technology prior to going to sleep, if we use the proper tools like melatonin in place of the PM medication, how much sleep do you recommend an average person? Seven hours. You know, and and everybody's body is different. If I sleep really well for seven hours, I'm pretty good. Okay. That's not to say I don't feel better at eight if I have a busy day, but. Do you have to push to these big hours? No, but you got to go for the quality of sleep. And some of these things, whether we're eating or drinking too late, are really interfering with the quality of sleep. So if you notice, I'm going at the prevention versus the quick fix, how to jack up your energy. It starts with good healing recovery sleep where you wake up, you're like, ah, everything's right with the world. Right. I feel good and I I can, you know, address the challenges of the day. From her visits to the Dr. Oz show, uh, Good Morning Connecticut, Boston's Fox Channel, CBS New York, just to name a few, Lisa reveals her most up-to-date metabolic boosting tips and exercises so that you can live the best life. And you can actually see all of her videos on Lisa's YouTube channel, and you can learn more about uh, Lynn Fit Nutrition by Lisa Lynn at LynnFit, L-Y-N-F-I-T dot com. She is my friend, Lisa Lynn, and she wants you to be done with being sick and tired of being sick and tired. We can be better. We can feel better. I'm committed. Thank you so much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary inspiration and gastronomic conversation with a little bit of lifestyle thrown in. I talk everything from food trends to health, tech, travel, and more. And we go way beyond mere eating and drinking on this show. So I hope that you will sharpen your cooking skills and please your palate by tuning in every Sunday. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour. Okay, you're making egg salad for sandwiches for the coming week, right? Or maybe deviled eggs for a summer party coming up. Well, I learned the coolest trick this past week, and I want to pay it forward. You can actually peel hard-boiled eggs far more easily if you add a teaspoon of baking soda to the water while they're cooking. You just cook them as usual, whatever method you were taught and that you love, and then you let the eggs cool. I cool mine, actually, in ice water um, so they cool quickly and so that the... uh, 
the shell itself actually releases a bit from the egg white. But when you peel them, having put baking soda in the water, the shells slide right off. It's really pretty terrific, and it saves you a good 10 minutes or so, and that'll get you back out to the pool. Pretty cool, right? I'll post my perfect hard-boiled egg peeling method on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Encourage you to find summer recipe inspiration at chefjamie.com. And thank you for listening. I hope that you will meet me here next Sunday as the delicious conversation continues. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. 